You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 807 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live on a Wednesday afternoon, not a normal time slot, I know, but I promised you yesterday I had a guest in the offing, and that, and that guest, as you can probably see by the episode description, is Jackson Frank. Jackson covers the NBA draft, which is why I asked him to come on the podcast today, but also covers Gonzaga in the past, covers the Sixers, writes with me over at Dime, etc., the step back. All kinds of various outlets that Jackson's been writing at, so check him out and all of his work as well. Um, If you missed it from yesterday, I did do an immediate reaction solo podcast after the lottery results were in, kind of making sure that the sky wasn't falling, etc., etc., laying out some of the options for Atlanta. And of course, over the next eight weeks, we will do plenty of that, but I figured it it was good to go ahead and get somebody on that was an expert to talk about the draft and some of the options and bounce some ideas off each other. So hopefully we did that on this podcast as always, please subscribe, please tell a friend, and uh, check out the show via whichever podcast platform that you would like to, but a lot of fun to be had on this podcast, and without further delay, here's my conversation with Jackson Frank. Jackson, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. It's now post-lottery, and uh, let's have some fun. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a few months later than I think everyone anticipated with post-lottery, but uh, we're finally, finally inching closer to the, the day finally coming, you know. 17 months after the last round. <laughs> yeah, very, very long time. And I know you are very much immersed in this world as I am. And it's been, uh, yeah, it's been a long time. But we're, we have some more fodder to discuss now that we know what the draft order actually is going to be. And at the top here, I want to, you know, obviously not just bury the lead and talk about other things, but let's talk about the Hawks. The Hawks have the number six overall pick. Now, that's not what they wanted, but it's not the disaster scenario either. And right out of the gate, I want to ask you, uh, and then we'll dive into a number of different players. But uh, if I asked you who is sort of like a realistic, ideal target for the Hawks with that pick, what would you say? I think, you know, I think the first one for me, at least based on how my my big board is played out and who makes the most sense would be Tyrese Maxey there. Um, I still think the Hawks need another guy who can kind of create advantages and, and you know, attack off the dribble. Obviously, Herter is a good secondary ball handler, but I view him more like a, you know, kind of a tough pull-up shooter who you can pass and whatnot. But I like Maxi's burst and his shooting upside and ability to finish and get to the rim. Um, so I think if they're kind of going for another another handler around Trey, I think that makes sense. And I don't think Maxi is someone who really needs the ball in his hands a ton to you know, have offensive value. You can work off of the the advantages that Trey creates, and then when Trey sits, um, I trust Maxi for eight minutes a game, seven minutes a game, whatever it is. Uh, maybe even less if he's sharing kind of that secondary role with with Herder to uh, fill a need as a you know complimentary handler around kind of the the high usage uh, you know offense that Trey Trey operates. Yeah, and I think people might be might be surprised to hear that there is this split. I think I'm closer to where you are on where Maxi is, but there is sort of a split between the uh, the intel based people that have Maxi you know late lottery, maybe even later than that, and then there are people like like us, I would say, maybe even you higher than I am, that have Maxi somewhere in the top five or seven. So, number one, I guess, why do you think that is? Like, what's the what's the disconnect here? Because I think part of it is probably Kentucky versus what his pre college sample was, but is there something beyond that that we're just kind of not seeing that the intel people are maybe scared of? No, I think I think it's kind of a, a you know a, a different 
it's a kind of a con- it's conceptually how he's how he's viewed. I think you maybe see this guy who's six three doesn't have a hugely long wingspan. You know, didn't flash anything very impressive as a passer uh, at Kentucky. In fact, I thought it was pretty. You know, it was probably his biggest hole offensively in terms of projection. Uh, didn't shoot the ball very well. You know, that's supposed to kind of be his thing. He's a really good scorer. Um, and so you have the six three. You know, the six three off guard. Um, who a lot of, you know, it doesn't really inspire, you know, if you, if you can't be a primary ball handler, you know, it's, it's tough to really invest in him as a fi- top five to seven pick. But, um, you know, I think this draft doesn't have many guys who you can have be a primary ball handler. So when you get into that five to seven range, you're looking for complimentary players anyways. And I think he projects really well in that role. He's really well in that role. Uh, so that's why I'm still pretty optimistic about him because I don't, I don't think there's, you know, there are a lot of guys who fill that secondary role as well as he can at his at his peak or close to his peak. Yeah, and I assume you buy the shooting too. And I think defensively, uh, I know he is kind of small, but I don't really worry too much about that. I think he's pretty physical and is capable of at least guarding both both guard spots, in my opinion. But I guess those are the questions that everybody else would maybe raise. Is just, you know, he's not a knockdown shooter at the college level. Obviously, the numbers were not great, but I kind of buy the shooting. And defensively, I know playing next to Troy Young, he's a little small, but not too small. I think it might be able to work on that end of the floor too. Yeah, I mean, his, his shooting numbers in AAU and high school were ridiculously good. He still shot like 84% from the line this year. I think he had pretty good numbers on like unassisted long two. I think those have proven to be a pretty important indicator for guys um, just because, you know, like it takes guys some time to adjust to that, you know, that, that three-point line. It was the first year, especially this year too, and in college it being further back. So it was a bigger transition for high school guys. Um, so there are just too many indicators for me to not consider him to be a pretty good shooter. He flashed off movement stuff, pull-up stuff in high school. Um, and they AAU, so I'm pretty optimistic there. And then, yeah, the defense is awesome. He he's really good laterally, strong. Um, you know, he's pretty active with his hands. And it did seem like maybe his steal and block number underrated his defense on that um, this year, for whatever reason. So uh, yeah, I like him a lot in that in that role. Um, but he was never a guy who was you know he was never even like even like a guy Cole Anthony who's plummeted this year. I don't think he was ever close to as heralded in that class as Cole Anthony. So kind of a combination of things, you know, maybe. Uh, our circles being high on him coming into Kentucky, and then even when he underwhelmed, uh, you know, that kind of lowering his draft stock too. But I, I think he, he makes a lot of sense there. So uh, I'm pretty optimistic about him still. Yeah, that'd be very, very interesting. I want to ask you about, uh, not necessarily a similar player, but a similarly positioned player that was a very popular mock draft uh, partnership between the Hawks and this player uh, this morning, and that's Tyrese Halliburton. I was a little bit surprised about how frequently he was associated with the Hawks right away, on one hand anyway, but uh, what do you make of Halliburton? There's this notion that he's a point guard, which is up for discussion, obviously, but obviously a really, really good college player, but not a uh, super high upside guy, in my opinion. But what do you what do you make of that potential partnership? Uh, I, I think it makes sense conceptually. Uh, you know, the idea of this guy was a really good decision maker, quick decision maker, uh, really, really good passer, as we saw in college. I just, he's just a guy that I'm not as high on overall. So if I get the fit, I just think there are guys who aren't, maybe don't fit quite as seamlessly in Atlanta, but are just better players with a little more, I guess, you know, I don't, I don't love the term upside in a broad sense, but that, the idea yeah. that there's a higher stealing for them. Um, so even if the fit is a little more precarious, I would take the guy who I view as more talented and just has more avenues to being a really good player. Um, even though I, I think Halliburton would be a solid guy, I'm just not sold on him. You know, he really struggled with pull-up shooting, uh, really slight of frames, even though he's a pretty dang good off-ball defender. 
Um, he's so he's so skinny and whatnot. They don't need him playing or hide him on these these wings or whatever. And so his footwork on the ball is really uh, lacking, and he doesn't get to the rim. So I think you're looking at a guy who has some value. Um, obviously, a really good spot up shooter was like a 90th percentile or better both years in college as a spot up shooter. Um, shot almost 43 percent from three for his career in two years. So definitely some some fit there, and I think he's going to be a solid player for sure. I just I just worry that you're not getting a much much on ball equity with him, and I think even though like we mentioned, Trey is going to run things most of the time when he's in, you still need someone who you can at least flow off into possessions through, whether it's a swing and then a side pick and roll or things like that. I'm just not confident that's being something Halliburton can do on a consistent basis. Yeah, I think we're pretty clear, uh, pretty clo- pretty close, I should say, on that. I-, I worry a little bit about him creating off the dribble. It doesn't, it didn't really happen much at the college level. I'm not sure he can get to the rim at all. Uh, defensively on the ball, not um, a great defender because not he's not that physical, etc. Um, I don't know. I guess, like you said, the fit does make some sense, uh, especially if you believe that he can maybe be your quote unquote point guard if Trey's off the court. I would be skeptical of that unless you surrounded him with other ball handlers. But at the same time. Uh, I definitely see it. I wasn't like stunned to see people talking about him. It was just the fact that uh, I think three or four of the more mainstream mocks put him to Atlanta. And that was, that frequency kind of jumped out to me. It's obviously very, very early, but it seems like there might be some noise there, which is why uh, I wanted to make sure I started out asking about that because I was kind of surprised. Yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's where the Hawks end up going. And it it wouldn't be a pick that I'm a huge fan of, but I would get it. Um, I think if Hawks fans are kind of you know looking for a blueprint of how to pair your your superstar offensive player with another handler, I would watch some Suns games this year. Um, I thought Ricky Rubio was really good for Devin Booker and his kind of his growth this year. Obviously, Booker's always been good, but he took another step forward this year, made an All-Star team. So, if you're looking for kind of the blueprint of what type of player I think fits well um, next to a high usage offensive star, obviously Booker and Trey are different players, but I think you know Rubio can, is a guy who would fit well with Trey as well. Um, Booker being taller, you know, gives you a little more, a little more options in terms of who you pair with him. But general idea there, I think, is pretty, is pretty sound and kind of the, the way I think the Hawks should go about it in terms of filling that skill set next to Trey. This was unintentional, but I guess the next guy I'll ask you about is um, also a you know second or maybe even a primary initiator, and that's Killian Hayes, who. Uh, the Intel people are again, a lot lower on, I think than the internet is in general. And I'm not, I haven't talked about Hayes a ton with Atlanta, but now that they're in this range where I guess he seemingly could be available. Uh, what do you make of that fit? Cause obviously Hayes is a little bit more of an on-ball guy, obviously than uh, Halliburton, especially, but do you think that's workable for Atlanta to where they should consider Killian Hayes? Or is it a fit issue that you would stay away from? I think it's workable, especially because I'm, I'm a fairly big fan of him. You know, I don't have him first or anything. I think I'm fourth or fifth. I'm still in that tier one though. So, um, if he falls to them at six, um, I guess not falls, he'll almost surely be available there. Uh, I, I don't love the fit, but again, it's kind of that, you know, it's, it's kind of the inverse of the, the Halliburton idea, uh, where, yeah, he's never really been a great off ball player. Um, I don't think he's even really shot well on spot ups like this year. I think he was pretty good on pull-ups, um, in his international season with, with Ulm, but pretty poor on spot ups. But I think that's something that can really be refined. You know, um, he's been such a ball dominant player throughout his last few years that, you know, when you're. When you're this young, uh, it's you know off ball play when you don't have those opportunities can be can be tough to just you know get or understand. So um, I think there's you know there's room to grow into it. Um, he's such a smart player already that I think you can I generally buy those guys as being adaptable and you know understanding how to how to fill a role even if it's new. So if it's even if it took 40 games, 50 games, you know his entire year to kind of understand that a secondary role, um, I would still be supportive of it because I do think 
it makes a lot of sense. He's similar to Maxi in that he's he's pretty big and strong, and he's really improved his on-ball defense this year. Um, gotten a lot more athletic in terms of lateral mobility and changing direction. So um, that would give you another guy to kind of uh, take some of the load off of Trey, who's really struggled with those. You know, any of the, anyone who can you know, attack him offensively, or I guess ta- attack him off the dribble, um, because he's just so so frail and skinny. Um, I think Killian is someone who is pretty strong already and is going to project to get, project to get even stronger. Um, so I like that fit, you know, growing into it, I think would kind of be the way to go about it. Don't expect him to be seamless right away with Selena. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, again, I, I'm probably guilty of not talking about him enough. Just kind of, uh, I have him in my top five pretty comfortably in a, in an overall sense in Atlanta, the fit's not great, but at the same time, it, it does seem like he's going to be available. And I uh, would certainly not cross him off. Um, he's not a perfect fit. Like a lot of these guys are not perfect, seamless fits, but you know, Schlenk's been very, open about talking about best player available now on one hand every gm says that for the most part um which is worth pointing out but um if you go by that uh it's very possible that hayes will be the best player available on on my board when the hawks pick so if you were to go off of that and if he liked him i can totally see it even if it's not like a super perfect fit for someone like you said who is not he's not been a great off ball player at this point i do trust it though he's so smart and I, i like the defense a lot to where uh if you're looking for that you know backup point guard that also plays with Trey Young archetype that everyone seems to want for the Hawks. I think Hayes is someone who certainly fits it. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, it's, it's, he's a different player than Maxi, but it's the idea that you're, you know, you're getting a, a good, very good guard defender next to Trey, which is what you need because he's, and even, even if he improves there and I think he will, you know, I thought he was you know better in some aspects this year. You know, he's, he's still going to be, he has a pretty significant negative. So you need to kind of insulate as much as you can um, to offset is how good he is, you know, Offensively, you know, it's you know, it's obviously one of the top ten offensive player already in his second year after his second year. So, um, yeah, I, I like the fit there long term. I think there's time to grow into it, but you, you just gotta you gotta hope that it can come quickly because you don't want to, you don't waste these years with Trey. You know, you know, it's always kind of a finite time. It catches up to you quicker than you think. Yeah, absolutely, especially because they seem they seem to want to speed up a little bit now, which we could talk about in a minute. But before we get to a couple more guys, I want to ask you about a word from the good folks at DoorDash. You want Chinese food, they want pizza, and somebody else in your house is craving dessert. But fortunately, there's something for everybody at DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you food you're craving right now right to your door. Ordering is very easy. In fact, I managed to order and eat and get everything done without breaking a sweat during the NBA draft lot around Thursday evening. And that was all because of DoorDash. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat. And your food will be left safely outside your door with a new contactless delivery drop-off setting as DoorDash aims to keep communities safe. DoorDash has over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Canada, Australia, and Puerto Rico. And you can support your local go-to restaurants or choose from your favorite national brands. Right now, our listeners get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when downloading the DoorDash app and, and if you enter the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. That's $5 off and zero delivery fee on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and, and enter the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Don't forget, that's code LOCKEDONNBA for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. All right, Jackson, uh, let's go to the wings for a second, and uh, I've long discussed... Isaac Okoro and Devin Massell as potential options for Atlanta. Different players, but similar positions. Okoro seems to be the guy that could be gone before Atlanta picks, based on the intel that you will see flying around, whereas Vassell probably will be available, it seems. But uh, do you have a preference between those two, and would you consider either of them for the Hawks at six? Yeah, I prefer Vassell. Um, I have them back-to-back, but I think 
next to Trey. Um, I just prefer Vassell's off-ball game more. He's really good relocated around the arc. Uh, fills the lines really well in transition, too. And so, uh, you know, Trey's obviously a great open court passer. And so I really like the way, you know, Vassell runs. You know, he fills the baselines well. Or I should say the sidelines well. Uh, runs hard. Good cutter, too. So I really like that idea. And obviously, he's shot over 40% from three in his, his uh, college career. Obviously, he's going to improve his volume. That was kind of the one thing really limiting me from you know considering him a really really high level shooter just the volume wasn't quite there but i like the fit a lot and then obviously he's a great team defender great at shutting down you know actions that teams want to run that's kind of the mark of a great team defender um that's basically what's made jason tatum such a great defender i'm not by any means paralleling uh, the cell to tatum overall as a player but the idea that you can deter teams from doing what they want offensively is what the cell is really good at so i like the fit a lot there and i just think you know as good as Okoro is i think he's someone who wants the ball in his hands a little more offensively with his slashing ability and ability to get the room and finish. Um, and there's the shooting concern. So I just, I think Vassell makes more sense there. Um, and, you know, it'd be cool to maybe see him let, see him play for his hometown team. You know, that doesn't really matter, but I think, you know, it's just kind of a fun little tidbit there too. Yeah. A bunch of, uh, a bunch of Hawks, uh, sorry, a bunch of Atlanta based guys, including Okoro. So it's, it's interesting. Like there's lots of, uh, local stuff. Obviously Anthony Edwards <laughs> is off the board now, but, um, there were three projected lottery yeah. picks from Atlanta, essentially. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, Vassell's, Vassell versus Coro is like one of those never-ending debates that people are split on, and I, I don't expect to, like, have a consensus ever. I, I think that my short answer is that Vassell is probably a little bit safer and more plug-and-play just for what he does um, and what Atlanta, you know, quote-unquote needs. Okoro, I kind of like the ceiling a little bit more, but again, it's all about, maybe not all about, at least partially about his jump shot, and if you don't believe in it, I, I think that, I'm on record as saying that Okoro can still be a good player without a jump shot, um, but it's it's a lot harder, obviously. Uh, do you think that, that that he has to be able to shoot for it to work, or is that a situation where he can be a functional, you know, starting level player with, without that dynamic jump shot? No, I don't think he has to. You know, I don't think he has to be a shooter for it to work. I I am pretty low on him becoming anything noteworthy as a shooter. I think even if he is someone who hits 35 to 37 percent, 37 percent from three, just the indicators you know are so low, low volume, not great for free throw percentage. Uh, I think he was really, really bad away from the rim on twos this year. If I recall something like 20% um, on twos away from the rim. So, uh, you know, the combination of poor indicators and low volume makes me pretty skeptical. And he's got a little bit of a slow shot to kind of that shot pit almost from, you know, between the side of the head and the shoulder. So I am pretty low on that, but I love, love his on ball defense. I think his off ball defense was a little bit undersold this year. Um, I think the passing is really good, obviously for a wing, one of the, one of the best passers for kind of his archetype as a non-lead creator. Uh, and he's such a good slasher and finisher. And he improved his handle a ton between high school and his, his one year at Auburn. So uh, I think there are a lot, there's a lot to like. Maybe it's, maybe it's kind of underselling the importance of a jump shot for a guy who's six, six with a six, eight and a half wingspan or whatever, but um, super strong. I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of him finding a, a niche in this league. You know, and if he does figure it out at the, you know, a jump or to an extent, then you're looking at a really, really good player. Like you mentioned with the upside. So, um, I'm still a fairly big believer in him uh, figuring it out without being a really you know, noteworthy shooter in any any regard. Yeah, I'm with you, and I think that uh, I'm glad you mentioned his. You know, you know everyone focuses on on jump shot offensively, and that's you know that's with good reason to some extent because of his size and the role that usually wings are playing. And but I think he is now pretty violently underrated as a creator and a rim attacker, at least by some people. Like I think he's just 
pretty dynamic with the ball in his hands at times. And he didn't flash a ton. I mean, it wasn't like he was the primary initiator for Auburn all the time, which is another part of this. His, his you know, his points per game and all the uh, box score stats don't like jump off the off the page to you. But I think he has a lot to offer offensively in a way that is probably under discussed because it's not the easiest integration, maybe. But he is really uh, talented at getting to the rim, getting to the free throw line. His passing, is good. he's got good feel, and you know all of the off-court stuff is you know supposedly A+. plus. You, you never hear anything bad about Isaac Okoro. Not that that is the all-encompassing thing, but uh, apparently he's this like legendary worker, too, so maybe he figures some stuff out. But I, I really do buy a lot of the offense um, working. Uh, maybe Atlanta's not the greatest spot in the world for that, considering they're sort of built around Trey doing Trey stuff, and he, uh, Okoro might be better suited in this like more of a motion, uh, evenly distributed scheme, but I still think that he can sort of fill in the cracks. Yeah, for sure. And I think, obviously, there's there's a premium and a lot of value in a guy being a great shooter, um, or just a good shooter, at least. But there's also a lot of value in a guy being a really good finisher, and that's something I think Okoro is. Um, you know, you saw a few times this year him use as a role man. I think that's something that teams should do at the next level. Um, so I know, you know, obviously Atlanta loves to do that double drag stuff a lot. So, you I mean, you could do it with, you know, since Collins is so good now from you know above the break, you could do it a double drag action, you know, with the core run, you know, finishing inside and, and Collins popping out. Um, if they give it they get a different stretch big or something, you know, you can run that. Um, so uh, I, I like the options there with the kind of stuff you can scheme for him at, at the rim. Um, and like you mentioned, yeah, the self-creation, I think, is definitely a little underrated um, because he's so big and strong. You know, he's, he's plays bigger than he is, and he's so strong for a wing slash guard. Uh, it's tough to stay in front of him. Um, even though he doesn't really have that jumper, he's improved the handle so much that it's it's tough to really dislodge the ball from him or deter him there. So, yeah, I'm a pretty big fan of him. Still having tenth overall um, in that second tier for me, which is you know my second tier is pretty fluid. Um, I think there are seven or eight guys in it, and I don't really value any any of any of them more than the other. Um, just in a vacuum, obviously, it's kind of a team by team basis as as we're uh, we're getting to. Yeah, such a such a flat uh, draft in general that uh, I think. Big boards are always useful, but it's uh, it's really not going to be a surprise to anyone, nor should it be, to see someone like I might have 10th or 11th that I might think is the better fit for Atlanta and so on and so on. Um, a couple of guys that I wanted to ask you about now that are um, – one of them is probably going to be gone, I would imagine, out of these two, if not both. But uh, we'll start with Denny Avdia, who I think is projected now pretty widely as a top five pick, so he might be off the board. But there has been some Hawks buzz in the past, uh, some mock draft stuff in the uh, before the lottery, more of a combo forward type. Uh, people seem to be split on his creation ability. I will say that, like the, the comps to Luca are laughably ridiculous in my opinion. But uh, yeah, I still like Denny. He does a lot of things well. So what do you think about him if he was to be available at six, even if he's probably not going to be? Yeah, I know. I know. I think it came on the pod maybe five months ago, six months ago. It was definitely a little lower on Avdia overall and as a as a player. But I've come back around. Um, I think he fell maybe as far as like fifteen or sixteen. I'm really, and that was a little too far on my board. Um, he's, he's in that second tier again. He's like I think he's eleventh for me. Um, that second tier goes all the way up to six. But he's someone who I, I don't have a problem with. You know, if the Hawks want to take him, I think he makes a lot of sense. And I, I comped him to you know I my concerns stem a little bit from Jared Culver, but I think I undersold. The fact that he's six nine and Colbert was six five, I think that matters a lot. You know, the bigger you are, I think the shooting can be less of a concern. Um, uh, so I, I think the fit makes a lot of sense. A really good team defender, really good cutter, um, incredible transition passer. Like I mean, whenever you watch his film, uh, especially his his Maccabi Tel Aviv uh, film, like some incredible full court bounce passes off a live dribble, um, which I really like. You know, slashing. His slashing, you know, it's different than Okoro. He doesn't just physically overwhelm you, but he's really good with timing, setting up dribble fakes, 
So I'm, I've definitely come around a lot on Avdia compared to the last time we spoke about him. I think he makes a lot of sense if you buy the jumper. Um, you obviously, he, he made very clear on, on Twitter and on media outlets during that, that hiatus that he, he's working to improve the <laughs> jumper and the mechanics of it. Um, and he was, it, it, it proved to be pretty, pretty, uh, pretty effective in the limited uh, games we saw from him after the, uh, you know, after his league restarted against domestic Israeli league. So um, by all accounts, he's a similar guy to Coro where his work ethic is off the charts. Um, and so I think, you know, even though the, the shooting, uh, the free throw percentage has been like historically inept throughout much of his career. Um, you know, he might be one of those guys who just is an outlier work ethic player and, um, I'm still pretty low again, you know, similar to Carl in the jumper, but um, you know, there's a chance that it, you know, his work ethic just kind of overrides his issues. And um, so I, I think he makes a lot of sense for Atlanta. It seems like he might not be available there, might be taking a couple spots higher, but I do think you know his cutting, his team defense, and his passing make a lot of sense, especially if you buy the jumper, which you know he's so similar to Carl kind of from a broad sense there. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, a lot of us have poked fun and not not in a mean spirited way about the the uh, the shooting videos that were happening. And uh, I certainly think that his jumper looks better than it did before. That's where I'll probably leave it. I, I do think that it's a, it's a good indicator versus what was on tape in the in the past, and the percentages were really rough. I'm not ready to just buy his jump shot all the way now, which some people are, and that's fine. I mean, if it works, then I, I do think that it unlocks a lot of things for him. Um, but even with it, even if you just assume he's an average shooter or whatever, um, I'm a little bit more skeptical of his ultimate ceiling as an offensive player um, than some. I'm not really sure even how to describe why. I'm just not sure he's going to just – there's this, like, point forward notion with him and this creation upside that I don't necessarily see. And defensively, I think he's, he's going to be fine, maybe even good, but not going to be, like, a game-changer defensively either. So I think he's more of that – Jack of all trades, master of none, kind of thing. Where I worry that he's he doesn't really have a single outlier trait, and that's not the, that's not the worst thing in the world. But it's more of a profile of like a solid starter, maybe, than it is to anything anything beyond that, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, we, watching his his games after the the restart, I thought his form was better on the kind of those open catch and shoots. But when he was pressured against uh, defenses, he kind of re- reverted back to some of that leg sway and that leg quick kick. Um, that you know has plagued him for much of his his youth career, um, but that's to be expected. Like you can't just change your form permanently in three with three months of work. So I thought it was at least encouraging, but by no means I think he solved it. Um, I, I thought it, you know, when he had the kind of those open gym reps on, on open spot ups and it worked, but um, he's gonna have to do more than that. You know, teams are gonna pressure. You know, the goal of shooting is to get teams to to respect you and close out on you. So uh, you can't revert back to some of his old tendencies every time he. Uh, you know, gets pressured. And I, I think he'll be fine. You know, he's going to have more time to work on it. He's young. And, um, but yeah, I think, you know, the concern would be, even though he has gotten a lot stronger in the last year, year and a half, um, yep. like you compare, like, I think I posted some photo two months ago. You compare kind of like the width of his shoulders and his neck, uh, you know, two years apart, three years apart. Like he's way bigger. He walked a lot better physically, but I still think he's someone who's going to struggle, you know, with, you know, NBA fours, so with uh, you know with with Denny compared to Okoro, they're both kind of a little undersized for that weak side rim protection role. But I think Okoro is a lot stronger, um, so you can you can buy him more and not be dislodged by incoming drivers or whatever or rollers to the rim. Where even though Denny's made strides there with his functional strength, I still worry to an extent. Um, but yeah, I think if if he did have a standout skill right now, it would either be his cutting or his transition passing, which are good skills, but they're kind of more nuanced and niche skills that you can't really rely on on a possession by possession basis where you can a shooting or, 
or off the dribble playmaking, which he's pretty good live dribble passer, especially for a six nine kind of secondary ball handler. But but yeah, I don't think there's you know there's a, an elite skill you can lean on every possession by any means. Yeah, there is a lot to like, and I'm glad you mentioned his transition game, which I have certainly enjoyed. It's probably my favorite thing about him, honestly, I think. But I do uh, like Danny, but like we both said, he might be off the board before Atlanta actually picks. Uh, one more guy I want to make sure we get to is Onyeka Kongwu, uh, who, again, a couple couple of mocks that sending him to Atlanta, and I think obviously there's not a need, quote-unquote, there for the Hawks, but someone who could be a best player available choice. So I wanted to ask you about him, and obviously the fit is a question on a team that has John Collins and Click Capella sign long-term, but uh, certainly a good player. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've long been a, a fan of Okongwu. He's someone who's been in my top five uh, for goodness now the draft cycle the draft cycle's gone on so long it's been i think almost like seven or eight months never uh, ended. <laughs> yeah that's what it feels like but yeah i don't think he makes a ton of sense there i just think you know with two other bigs already in place you would struggle to be prioritized with his rolling and his screening and his switchability um kind of what you have capella there for and like you mentioned capella's locked up for you know two more seasons um three more three seasons more, by the way three more yeah. seasons, excuse me three more um Goodness, that that final season might be less like 2022, 23, more like 2023, 24, or whatever, you know, whatever. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, as much as I like a Congo, I just don't think he makes sense there. Um, he would have made, you know, he was someone who made a lot of sense before they acquired Capella. But as a third big, they're investing in a sixth overall pick, which is ideally your last top 10 pick for a while. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I think there are more pressing needs. And even if I think there are, let, you know, guys who aren't as good. Um, you know, aren't as high caliber prospects. I think they're not that much lower, and they just fill bigger needs for for Atlanta. So, not a fit I really love. Even if I remain a huge fan of Okongwu, the the roster construction doesn't make sense. And you know, Atlanta I think has made clear they want to make playoffs next season or whatever. Um, and so, you know, the goal was for them to be drafting the mid teens rather than in the mid mid top ten. Um, so, I don't think it would be a proper uh, you know allocation of assets. Yeah, that makes sense, and uh, I would I would not criticize him if they did it because I think he is really good. If, if, if they just came out and said, you know what, best player available, we love this kid, I would understand it, um, but I'm kind of with you on, on the fit stuff, and it's not ideal in terms of the roster construction, especially if they plan to keep Capella, as they probably will. Um, oh, Before we move off of Hawks' targets, is there anyone that we have not discussed that you believe should be a uh, at least a consideration for Atlanta at six if they're available? Um, I, I think the one that I personally am not, you know, I'm not a huge fan of, but could be available, and some people like like that fit. Maybe to some degree, would be Obi Toppin. Yep. Um, you know, he keeps getting compared to John Collins. John Collins is someone who is up for a new contract soon. Um, maybe and he's someone who's probably getting a lot of money because he's a good player and he has really good box score lines and he's he's fit well with Trey offensively. So um, I think Toppin is the guy there that if they don't want to pay Collins, you can you could draft him and then. Um, like I think what Collins would be in restricted free agent after next season, right? That was that correct? Yes, uh, he's up for extension as soon as they're allowed to do extensions. Yeah, <laughs> in those yeah. couple weeks. So, um, so yeah, if they don't give him an extension, then they want to just kind of play it out for one year and then let him walk and kind of have Obi be the, the replacement. I think that makes sense. But I have Obi lower. I just think the defensive concerns are pretty pretty troubling there, and you know you already have someone in Trey who's going to present defensive issues. As long as he's in Atlanta, as long as he's your centerpiece, um, which, you know, for Atlanta's sake, you know, hopefully it's a long time. So um, I'm just not a huge fan of it, but I think that's the one that makes sense. Just versatile offensive player from Pop who can finish really well is a very good passer um, on the short roll and even from the post. So that would be, you know, a fit that would make some sense if 
Collins isn't in their long-term plans, but I'm just lower on Toppin as a prospect because of his high center of gravity and his poor movement skills. I think that's going to limit him both offensively and defensively. Um, more defensively, but I think it's really going to limit his self-creation because he is pretty weak and top-heavy. Top um, I don't see a ton of self-creation for him as someone I would take in the top six or top seven. Yeah, I'm sure Hawks fans are maybe laughing right now because you basically just laid out, laid out the case that I regularly make about Toppin. I'm a, I'm a touch lower on him. I like his offense, and I think you just can't take him unless you plan on moving on from Collins. And that's nothing something that I'm that I'm just endorsing the Hawks to do. Obviously, there are scenarios in which Atlanta could move on from John and get some value out of that. But provided the provided that they're not, that they're not going to do that, you just, you just cannot take Toppin, in my opinion, unless the absolute plan is to move on from Collins. And honestly, you kind of have to do it almost at the draft. Because once you draft Toppin, it's everyone around the league is going to be like, okay, maybe they're going to move Collins. <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, that's a great point about kind of showing their hand there. It's a tough tough situation. And, you know, Collins is quite good, and he, he continues to add different parts to his game every year. So uh, for the right price, you know, I don't want to pay him too much. But, you know, if the price is there, like, I don't think it would be an issue to give him, you know, however much, 18, 20 million a year. You don't want to give him anything really aggressive, and especially if the cap comes down or whatever. But, um, yeah, I think. It's, it's not worth it. I, w- I wouldn't want to – I don't see a huge ceiling for Toppin. I know some people do, but um, Collins is already really good and has proven to be adaptable and uh, increasingly better every year. So um, I, I don't think it really makes a lot of sense, Like you said, especially because you'd be showing your hand and it would reduce some of your, your leverage there. Yeah, and that makes uh, perfect sense. Uh, all right, last last thing on this. I know you mentioned Max. If it's not Maxi, who would be your number two option for Atlanta at number six? Uh, I think I would go Vassell. Um, I think he just makes too much sense as a great team defender who can help, uh, you know, deter plays and, and cover up for trace efficiencies. And he's such a good, such a good off-ball offensive player that he makes a lot of sense there. He doesn't really need the ball in his hands. He's going to, you know, try lower on a side pick and roll and he'll lift to the wing instinctively to, you know, his defender will be watching whatever Trey and Collins are doing or Trey and Capella are doing. And he'll be wide open for a three. He's got a little bit of an off-the-bounce game that I didn't mention when we first talked about him. Um, Flash and pull-up shooting, which is pretty impressive. I like his ability to, you know, if teams run him off the line, he can. He has that high-release point, can shoot over, shoot over help or shoot over smaller defenders. Um, flash some really complex passing reads, like not a ton of them at Florida State, but a, a few hits to the roller off of, against traps or skip passes that just kind of have you intrigued to the, the point of maybe there, you know, there's been some reports um, and maybe some rumors that Florida State's offense kind of limits its its responsibilities of its creators and they don't have a lot of flexibility for passing. So maybe some untapped upside there as a passer. I just think it makes a lot of sense there um, in terms of, you know, being kind of a tailor-made fit and someone you can contribute right away to a team that's trying to uh, return to the playoffs as soon as possible. All right, friends, this is Brad coming to you in post-production to tell you this is going to be the end of this episode. We will have more with Jackson Frank dropping on Sunday night into Monday morning, talking about the rest of the top of the lottery, how things will set up for the Hawks potentially when we know what's going to be off the board in the top five, options for number one overall, number two overall, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe even some thoughts on the Hawks second round pick. We'll see what happens. But uh, please subscribe to this podcast. Please tell a friend about the show. Hopefully, again, I would remind you to check out our previous episodes episodes of the podcast enjoy your weekend i'll be back if there's anything crazy but in the meantime stay tuned for part two from jackson dropping on monday morning